0: Hello there, this is Calvin, and you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. You've accessed the Black Talk radio show, and um, we're presenting you with social commentary from an African-American perspective. One thing I have to let you know, though, is that the views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this show and others, please log on to kuci.org. Um, my guest isn't here today yet, and uh, his name is John Sly Wilson of the Sly Slick and Wicked from Cleveland, Ohio. We want to um, let you know that he has uh, some music. I'm gonna I'm gonna play you a particular cut, one that he did on well, he and the group did on Soul Train. I'm going to play that first, and uh, I'm going to give him a call and see if he's uh, nearby. So just listen to what it is that, that he did way back in 1970. You love him,
1: girl. You know, you love him. So, you think you love him?
0: make it girl but you only you only thought of him Show up now ten thousand times I've tried yes I really tried and all I can say is you really love
1: him up. you really love him Shown up you really love him love him show up love him show up show up fool Maybe that was his real, or maybe she had a love jones for the cat, I don't know. But you know Slick had the same problem, didn't you Slick? Dig it, it even happened to me, me of all people.
0: <laughs> Life is funny, Yeah. love is funny, it can play stupid games on you. Still I watch out for the tricky game,
1: but nevertheless, <laughs> I'm still a man. <laughs>
0: I know I am. Ten thousand times I've tried. Lord knows I will really tried, all I can say is you really love him. Show up, you really love him.
1: Show up, you really love him. Love him.
0: Show up, love him, show up, show up. ooh, show up. Okay, that was the Sly, the Slick, and the Wicked, and um, one of the singers there was John Sly Wilson, who um, for whatever reason hasn't made it in yet. We don't know if he's coming or not because I wasn't able to get a hold of him, but um, we're going to just have to do a little something else <laughs> in in the hopes that he'll turn up real, real soon. Um My last show, is, a matter of fact, it was the first show, and uh, I had an opportunity to let you guys know what it is that you were going to be listening to on these Wednesdays in this winter quarter of uh, University of California, Irvine. And, uh, again, we're on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and um, I just want to, first of all, again really thank uh, KUCI for allowing me to have this show. And for you guys, I want to thank you as well for listening in. Um, Basically, um, Black Talk Radio is a program that talks about social issues that we're faced with, not only here but also abroad, um, from a black perspective, an African-American perspective. And the reason that I think that that is so important is because of the fact that there are a lot of things that we... um, have before us that are actually based on, or based from uh, a racial perspective, you know, and uh, although people think it does not, I don't, I don't think people really think it doesn't, I think they say it doesn't, um, that racism does not exist any longer, um, it still does. This is not a, a, um, a situation that we have in this country and abroad, and I keep saying that here and abroad, that's, uh, that has stopped. You know, we'd like to think that, but it's still going on. And I think that is so, so important for us to understand that we need to take a look at that and, and possibly change our perspectives on what it is that we're dealing with and to understand that racism is not something that's inherent. It's something that's been created for the specific purpose of separation. And once we're able to understand that uh, we can possibly address that situation and look at it from a different perspective. Um, there's some things that I, I I really really think that I need to uh, uh, explain, and one being uh, if you if you listened in last week, I talked about um, the fact that I had determined that we. As a as a people, and I'm talking about the human race, have a real situation on our hands in terms of uh, who's in charge. And uh, so many times we like to think, especially, and I and I'm gonna you know I'm gonna make this personal. And my consciousness has changed since that time. But for a very very long time, I used to say that you know that the white man is in charge. And uh, that's so far from the truth, <laughs> you know, but because of the way that the 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 situation is, uh, it seems that way, you know, because me being a black person, uh, every time that I was able to participate in anything that was uh, multiracial, it seemed like uh, the one who had all the all the equipment, um, all the know how, um, all the, you know, uh, things that were were necessary for facilitation of whatever it was that we were getting ready to do um uh, was always caucasian um i looked at television quite a bit as a matter of fact i think i don't know i'd have to ask my mother about this but i think that we possibly got our first television in 1950 something maybe 53 54 or something like that and uh of course it was black and white and uh there was no black people on <laughs> you know until i don't know what year that was but it was a program called Amos and Andy and it was taken from a, a radio show and the radio show um uh actors were 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 white they were caucasian and they 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 uh did the show in blackface then it was uh, put on the television and and there were black guys and and females as well that were um uh characterized as the radio show Components and you had uh Kingfish, who was a guy um, much like uh, if you've ever seen the honeymooners Jan- Jack- Jackie Gleason did a show called the Honeymooners and Jackie Gleason, even though he had a job, he was always trying to to make uh, uh, get a, get some money quick you know he always had a scheme that he wanted to follow through and uh, uh, and make money so he could quit his job. Uh, and his wife, Alice, um, was a housewife, and uh, she was always telling him that he had a bird in the hand and it was worth two in the bush, so why didn't he just be satisfied and do his job and come, come home and relax, you know, and get up the next morning and go do it again because these schemes, these quick, get-rich-quick schemes were not working, and they were futile. Well, it was the same thing passed on, not necessarily passed on, but it was the same kind of uh, uh, interaction on Amos and Andy. And uh, Amos had a wife, Sapphire, who felt the same way that Alice did for all and purposes. And Amos, I mean, Amos, Amos wasn't the, the, uh, the star. He, it was Kingfish. That was his name, Kingfish. And he was like Jackie Gleason as, as Ralph in The Honeymooners. And um, he always had a get-rich-quick scheme. Uh, he had a couple of friends, uh, my favorite being Algonquin J. Calhoun, who was uh, not an attorney, but he played the role of an attorney, and every time they went to court for some scheme that Kingfish had concocted and it failed through, uh, uh, Algonquin J. Calhoun <laughs> represented him. Uh, there was another one, Amos, who was a, a, a very stable guy, you know, and he always um, uh, did things on the on the up and up, you know, And it was an opportunity for me and my family as well to um, really get an opportunity to see black folks on the television screen. Um, After after that, there was uh, a couple of uh, a couple of of, of black movies, not movies, but a couple of black shows. Uh, I Spy was one and it had I think his name was Robert Culp and he starred with Bill Cosby, and they were uh, agents. I can't remember now if they were federal agents or whatever the case might be, but it was uh, the first role that I had seen where a black man was uh, had a role that was, uh, as far as I was concerned, that was a, a very upstanding role, and as you know, Bill Cosby went on to do the Cosby Show, which was a l- whole lot later, but um, it was uh, uh, definitely an opportunity to be able to see some things that, um, uh, we were not privy to at the onset, I need for you guys to just you know hold on for a minute. I got this call, and I'm gonna see if this is John. Hold on, okay, you guys. thanks so much for holding on, and that is John, and he'll be in the station in just a moment uh just to finish up what I was talking about in terms of uh being exposed to black folks on the television screen, as I said it was a it was a hard fit for me <laughs> because of the fact that you know for years and years, I felt that. White folks was in charge, and they ain't going to let us be on the TV. A lot of things uh, have happened since that time, uh, which we're going to be discussing on this show. And um, I just uh, want you guys to, to understand and to recognize that my intent is to let you see some things that we as black folks see that you might not have even given any thought to. And what can we do for the future in terms of giving thought? the things that exist that we might not be aware of so again uh thank you guys for listening and uh we got a guy here his name is john wilson and uh i just want to ask john how you doing man
1: i'm doing fine how you doing
0: i'm doing well that guy ain't nowhere near the mic you know he got a voice though you can (laughs) you can hear him uh you know miles away uh john i just want to give you an idea of what it is that we um Not an idea of what it is, but exactly what it was that we put uh, on the website in terms of this show. And it says, join Black Talk Radio show host Calvin G. on Wednesday, January the 14th, 2014, from 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific time as he presents arranger, composer, producer, recording artist, songwriter, John Sly Wilson of the Sly Slick and Wicked R&B Band from Cleveland, Ohio find out how, since 1970, Sly has managed to remain so energetic and tireless. So, John, how you doing, man? <laughs> hey, man, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do the best I can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were really, really worried, man, because of the fact that, uh, that you hadn't shown up. And I know the audience is, uh, is anxious to hear you. They heard uh, one of your cuts show enough before you got here. And uh, why don't we just start with that, man, and let us know how, how that happened for you, that you guys uh, got together and decided that you were going to do a group.
1: Well, uh, we started in Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, actually I formed my first group when I was 12 years old and uh, in junior high school, and from that, we went to John F. Kennedy High School, and some of the other people you might recognize that uh, went to school with us uh, was a group, well, it was a band called the Bell Telefunk, which now became the Dazz Band, so I went to oh, school. Oh, yeah, sc- uh, no school, kidding, okay. I went to school, every last one of them, mm-hmm. and, uh, so from that point, while we were starting uh, to play in clubs in and around Cleveland, and uh, Kenny Brown, mm-hmm. who happened to be the bass player for uh, the Bell Telefunk and Daz Band, ended up uh, going to New York. He ended up becoming the band director for Gladys Knight and Pip. But he told, okay. he told uh, Paramount Records is a great group mm-hmm. that you need to check out in Cleveland. And so the A&R
0: people flew in and we got signed almost immediately. No kid, right. no kid, right. yeah. And and, and uh, since that time, um, you've done a lot, a lot of different things, man, and we're gonna touch on those, all, not all of them, because we're not gonna have enough time, but we're gonna touch on a few of those things. But first off, I'd like to ask you that, what, if anything, did uh, being African American teach you about the music industry?
1: Well, we come from a long, long history. I mean, from slavery, I mean, I might rock a little, a little, uh, oh, they rattle a little nerves here, but if you want to go to black music, we got to go to Beethoven, because Beethoven, uh, even though, regardless of how you... Right. ...she was also black. hmm So, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that that was always in my life. My mother and father, you know, had that in my house. Um, my father played upright bass. My mother uh, played piano, Also, she had her own radio show. And so... Following all around me in Cleveland ohio I mean, in my neighborhood was the O.J.'s, Bobby Womack, mm, Edwin mm. Starr. I mean, these are some of the people that when I i used to go to elementary school and I hear the Womack brothers or Bobby Womack rehearsing in the basement. OK. And uh, so I was the black music industry and I was in the doo-wop era. I was. Mm-hmm, yeah. My yeah. father put a little uh, speaker. In okay. my radio, so I can listen on my in my pillow, and I was listening to all the no kid, people. No Yeah, I mean, I'm like you know four, five, six,
0: seven, oh, eight, nine years. Oh my old doing goodness! This. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And so, um, did you did you find that you know that it was kind of like a a, a a like you would probably I'm looking at it as in a in a group of people like like Motown for instance, where basically everybody is a black artist. You know, and so in terms of crossing over, so to speak, and getting the attention of the white audience, how did that work for you, for your group? Or did it did, did that happen? Well,
1: we crossed over and really it's something that um, because R&B and pop, mm-hmm. you know, when it was divided, used to be one char- chart, but they okay. divided it. OK, OK. OK. What's something we can talk about later if, if you want to. Mm-hmm. But um when in the 70s, when we came out, because we've been together this year, it'll be almost 45 years. Oh, my okay? goodness. And we're yeah. still together. Yeah, yeah. And to be pop was, all, was like taboo. Mm-hmm. Because once you went over pop, you died. There were very few artists that went on the pop chart in the 70s. Give us one. Uh, later on, mm-hmm. Earth, Wind, and Fire. Okay, I got you. I later got you. on, mm-hmm. Cool in the game. Okay, okay. But their roots were R&B. Right, and right. And usually, you know, it's really funny now, if you cross over pop, pop, your career died.
0: Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, yeah. okay. So we okay. wanted to keep that right. R&B feel. Okay, right. okay, okay, okay. Yeah, and for those of you though, who don't know, you know, uh, well, most I'm, I'm sure all you do, but I'm just going to put out there, R&B is rhythm and blues, and so... Uh, that's something that we, uh, we've been doing since day one, (laughs) still doing it, you know, but like I just said, that crossover thing, I, and I didn't know to the extent that it went, but as John, you know, let us know, uh, it wasn't an easy thing to do. Um, what do you think that, that, that where you are now and, 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 uh, the road that you've traveled, what can, what can you contribute to the, the, the listeners? Cause we got some college kids here listening that are in the music, you know, they, they, they're majoring in music. What okay. is it that you can, you can give to them in terms of how you managed to maintain, uh, yourself and your group for this long a period of time, 45 years?
1: Well, um, what happened was I learned what the business was about. Uh-huh. I had. Three great teachers. Okay. The OJ's taught me how to do harmonies. Wow. Okay. When I came out here, uh, Barry White took me under his wing, and he kept. He, I was up at his house one day, and he said, "Hey, man, uh, John, uh, you ever thought about becoming a producer?" I said, "I'd love to be a, become a producer." So, uh, he taught me what it was to to lay horns and strings because I'm a classical trumpet player. I've been playing classical no trumpet since I was six. Oh, okay. okay so I'm an arranger. Uh-huh. But what happened was. In 1985, I got with the Jacksons, all right? Mm -hmm. So I started as a producer producing Janet Jackson, producing Latoya Jackson, but then I started traveling the world. I've been around the world 18 times. My goodness. I'm the first African-American to take gospel to Japan. I'm the Mm. first to have a hit record on a Japanese artist, a Chinese artist, a Vietnamese artist, uh, an artist from New Zealand. So I found out what the music industry was about Mm -hmm. through the world. So I'm telling all the young uh, people out there that are trying to get into business. Mm-hmm. Learn that this is a business. James Brown to- told us when we signed with him in 1973 when we came out here to do Soul Train, he said, remember, show business. 10% show, 90% business. <laughs> show oh, business. Man. So learn contracts. Man. Learn what kind of, de- you know, I, when I do classes, I say, you know, what kind of deal you want? And mm-hmm. he said, well, I want a record deal. Well, what kind? There's different kinds okay see so you have to learn the business learn Uh what the international business because remember there are only three labels left and only one of them is american owned
0: no kidding yes oh man which one is american owned? we are
1: warner 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 brothers and atlantic universal is is owned by vivendi
0: which is french Mm -hmm. and bmg is owned by germany my goodness thanks for that info man that's (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's so so very important uh i i wanna i want to talk about you just talked about uh you know you being a producer but it's something that I, I i saw that i'm really really interested in because here at this show we want to let everybody know that you know this is not a local thing this ain't california this ain't 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 uh, uh america this is the world and you put something together man called world peace tell us about that man
1: well actually it's world peace one and they called me in, uh, which I was very blessed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I think they contacted Quincy first, but Quincy Jones said, let John Wilson do it. Okay. And I put together a 145 voice choir for peace. Oh, my and God. it was like, we are the world on steroids. Not only did I bring <laughs> in the top artists mm-hmm. from the uh, United States, I brought in the top artists from around the world. Okay. And also the children um, from around the world. Mm-hmm. It took me like two days to do it and that was part one I think what you saw right. and part two I just finished last year mm-hmm. which hopefully will be out this summer where I brought it up, brought in like Sheila E. John Resnick from oh Google my Dolls goodness. on the first recording was um, uh, b- Brian McKnight Taylor's, Taylor Dane Take six mm-hmm. Al Jarreau b- George Clinton Sean e. Wilson, Flex uh, persia white oh from, my i mean goodness. so it was not only singers but then uh-huh. i brought in the top artists from china the top tar- top artists from afghanistan wow. the top artists from israel i brought them all together and in in the name of peace
0: mm-hmm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. wow wow and you say it took two days. You're just talk- you're talking about two days of, 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 of putting all that together, not two days of planning and, and, and facilitating uh, people coming to, to this country or however it went. You know, that was a lot of time, I'm sure.
1: Right. I did the children. Of course, they can't be up late. I did them at yeah. like 1 o'clock in the, that afternoon. Okay. But I did the first choir. I had to do them in two shifts because I couldn't put everybody up on the risers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so uh, I started like 11 o'clock. And by the time I got both choirs in and finished, it was like two o'clock in the morning. Then I started cutting vocals when at about five o'clock. Al B. sure said, "Hey, man." I don't know if you can make it. So, <laughs> because he was a, and so anyway, so I went home. I
0: got some sleep, and I started doing the vocals the uh, the next day. Oh my goodness! Yeah. My goodness! That's that, that that's something, man. Now, in terms of what now you you're a producer. You you've been producing for some time. Am I right about yes, that? Yes, right, right. Uh huh. Right. And and what was that experience like? Or what I, is it like? Because you're still producing.
1: Yeah, I love to produce. I mm-hmm. mean, again, uh, I've been blessed to produce all over the world in different languages, even though I didn't speak the language. But, I mean, producing people like Alfonso Ribeiro, you know, he just was on Dancing with the Stars. I produced okay. him. But then producing in Japan uh, was my first—actually, uh, no, my, it was my second. I produced my some Vietnamese artists first. Mm-hmm. But producing in Japan was a really leap for me, big okay. leap for me because, again— I first took Gospel of Japan, I produced LaToya Jackson over there in, in Japan, and she sang in English and Japanese.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And
1: uh, then I produced their number one artist who had never done any type of R&B music. Her name was Honda Minako,
0: mm-hmm. or Minako
1: Honda, and they just erected a statue. She, uh, she Unfortunately, she went to God a few years ago. Oh, she was okay. only 36 years. Oh, my goodness. Uh, leukemia, but she's considered mm. one of the greatest artists in Japan ever uh, uh, produced, and I had two number one records on her. Okay, So okay. And then ended up, with, like I said, producing in Taipei and mm-hmm. China and uh, New Zealand. So mm-hmm. the production has helped me bring together the world. Right, right, right. You know, right. because uh, we not, may not speak the same language, mm-hmm. but music breaks down all barriers. Oh, man. Because, you know, if I put the record on, we're going to start doing this Yeah, doing time. something. We're going to move or in something. In time, and right. that give, now all the barriers come mm-hmm, down. We're going to find mm-hmm. a way to communicate. Mm-hmm.
0: Now tell me... Um, in t- in terms of collaborating with people from from different countries that, that speak a different language, how is that for you? Because I, I and I'm not sure. Maybe you speak a hundred different languages. I don't know, but but how does that work for you in well, terms of being able to collaborate with someone from Japan or Vietnam or that kind of thing? Well, in Japan it was very interesting
1: because when I did Minako, uh, I spoke no Japanese at the time. I am I'm about sixty or seventy percent fluent now. No kid. But how? Um, I when I went to the studio, the engineer. Mean only thing Minako could say is hello goodbye in one moment, please, in English. The English <laughs> okay. engineer spoke no English, nobody, and so as each day would go, I would point to something and they would tell me what that was. Oh, in, okay. In okay. Japanese. Mm-hmm. And then I would say what it was English. Oh, so the okay. engineer ended up speaking English because I'm there every day for like a month. <laughs> oh, so man. he ended up speaking English and okay. I ended up speaking Japanese. Okay, okay, right. okay. So okay.
0: That's how okay. That went. Yeah. Wow, wow. That's amazing. So so uh tell me this, like, uh, how old were you when you decided that, you know, I'm not just going to be singing, you know, I'm not just going to be concerned with the business aspect of this. I'm going to I'm going to spread out. I'm going to spread my wings and, and, and go a little further. How how old were you then? Matter of fact, how old were you when you started, when you first started, when you you guys made your first cut? How old were you then?
1: Uh, when I'm when, when Sly Sticking Wicked recorded our first cut, I was barely 20 21 years old. okay barely.
0: okay okay and barely. so then when you started to stretching out how were you i mean what time did you start did you start immediately
1: well no you mean stretching out i mean producing and yeah stuff? okay yeah. that was uh i was 30 okay and when i got with B- and Barry White set me on that path okay okay uh, as i said uh i ended up doing two albums with him and uh, as he said john have you ever thought about being a producer actually i had did just a little bit of it with Walter Williams of the OJs oh, okay and and Eddie Levert Mm-hmm. And uh, but to really get into the meat of it was Barry White. Okay. Barry White
0: okay. Okay. Path, okay. Yeah. And 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 tell me the difference between uh uh producing and uh um uh, being a an arranger and a and a composer. What what how how do, how does that work? Well, really it's
1: all in the same, but a producer is in charge of the entire recording process. Okay. Mm-hmm. I am a ranger, I've scored six films.
0: Oh my goodness. Um
1: you know, uh, Uh, and I am a composer. Mm -hmm. I've composed songs for music and for, for commercials and everything else. So, um, I I mean, I've just been blessed to do a lot of different Mm -hmm. things, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, so uh, I never thought at the beginning that I would ever, I, you know, I wanted to sing. Okay. You know, and like I said, when I formed my first group at 12 years old mm-hmm. and my first paying gig, we got $5 a piece from <laughs> five of us. Oh, my you know, goodness. In junior high school. I said That, maybe was, qu- that was quite a
0: bit back uh, then, right, I absolutely. guess. Absolutely. I mean, I could buy a lot of candy. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, right, man. <laughs> right. Go to the quarter party <laughs> right. all the weekend. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right, 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 right. Basement, right. right. Like yeah, yeah. Like a High. That yeah. was for real. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> I, I was a part of that. Yeah, right, for sure, for sure sure wow hey man so so um you've been you've been in this business for a very long time and and my wife uh my wife is a is a a jazz uh flautist she plays the flute Mm -hmm. and uh and because of that i've been uh you know i've traveled quite a few places and met quite a few musicians and it's hard man and you know this it's hard being a musician you know and and most jazz musicians because jazz is not as 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 profitable here in the United States as it is overseas. you know, a lot of musicians go overseas to you know to to really make money. You know what I mean? And, and and the time spent there is not enough time really to sustain themselves, so they got to get part-time jobs, you know, and things of that nature to have a steady income. You look like you're doing very very well, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> and I'd I mean, like for yeah. you to share how it is that you can, you know, that you can do what you do and 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 stay above board.
1: Well, first of all, it's a business, as I said. Right. But uh, h- hitting on jazz, I mean, mm-hmm. I've I've been very fortunate to work with. Uh, Duke Ellington's children, April oh, Ellington. Okay, I work okay. With them. I've worked with Kevin Tony from the back Blackbirds. Mm-hmm. And you said your wife was a flautist. Mm-hmm. I worked with Joel Brandon, who was a jazz whistler. He's oh yeah, I've, I've heard him. Yes, okay. I did, yes, I did okay. two cuts on, with him. Okay. So I mean, that's the background that I've also also uh, mm-hmm. you know things I've also done there. Right. So you have to know the business. Okay. The music business is like Coca Cola, mm, Xerox. Mm. It's a business. Yeah. Okay. You have contracts involved. Mm-hmm. You have to know what royalty rates are. Okay. You have to know, uh, because the music business here in America is different than it is in Asia or, okay. or, or even Japan or uh-huh. China. Or, uh-huh. So you have to know the business of it. So, like I said, James Brown, 10% show, 90%, 90%
0: business. business. Know okay. the
1: business. So as I learned the business, and so I was able to survive, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and not only as a producer, but, for for example, what really drives the music industry is publishing. So, oh okay. right so that's the first thing publishing and copyrights. Mm-hmm. if you learn about that first then you'll learn about everything else
0: oh uh, okay mm-hmm. okay so in terms of publishing what does that mean publishing you mean publishing a song or something of that nature or or, right. or okay every okay. time
1: you hear a song on the radio it makes nine point something cents every time no kid yeah so the publisher is paid first and then the publisher pays the writer mm-hmm so if you have the publisher, for example, Michael Jackson's catalog mm-hmm. makes eighteen dollars a second.
0: Oh my goodness, okay. man!
1: That's his publishing. You know, oh since he's, you know, so my point is, I mean, you know, his publishing was worth quite a bit of money when he passed, uh-huh. and so he understood the publishing. I think he bought his publishing company for what thirty-five, forty-five million back in nineteen eighty-five, and when he passed away, it was well worth well over a billion. Oh my so goodness! So that's if your publishing royalties come if you're sitting standing or sleeping
0: right right
1: a- and so in this case he's gone to heaven and mm-hmm. his publishing is still coming mm-hmm. okay. so that's what if you learn about publishing learn about copyright because your copyright is when you copyright a song in washington dc that's your song for as long as you live plus 75 years after you die oh, my if you have goodness. a publishing company that's your publishing company for as long as you live plus 75 years and, and you know after you di- die Mm-hmm. my
0: goodness mm-hmm. wow so um so what are you what are you looking to do what what's what's exciting for you right now what you what you doing right now that's that's that's, that's that you really enjoy everything or, uh, is
1: inci- <laughs> exciting but also what i'm doing too at this point uh i've joined i'm a, a uh, advisory board member of the doo hall of fame and also, yeah, okay. and also i'm on the advisory board of the rockin I mean, sorry, the R&B Hall of Fame, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which we just got inducted into the R&B Hall of Fame two years ago. Okay. So it was us the Dramatics, and the Vandellas, and the Marvelettes. We got inducted in. So uh, right now I'm, I'm on the doo Hall of Fame board, which is um, just starting out up and um, having quite, quite a success. So that's like I'm really excited about
0: that. Okay, yeah. okay. You Are you familiar? I had a guy on here uh, who, who was into doo That was uh, Wally Roker. Are you familiar with him?
1: Wally, Wally is one of my best friends. Okay, he's, in fact, he's on the board with yeah. me. I just spoke to him last night. Absolutely. Okay, Wally okay. is. Yeah, we're we're all together.
0: Oh man, that's yeah. beautiful. That's right. beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh man, and the guy that uh, that introduced me to you, uh, Drake Fry, right. uh, he's involved as well in some yes, of the things is. that you're doing. Yeah, yes, this is a, this is a beautiful thing. You know, I think I think what's what's most important about this interaction that we're having right now, man, is for people to see and to understand that uh there are people on this planet for who the beat goes on you know it ain't no stopping (laughs) you know what i mean we gotta we gotta keep on pushing doing what we do in the hopes that others can you know can witness it and and become a part of it because because music man uh Fela said that 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 music is a is a is the is the new weapon you know and 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 it's like you said, it does so much, man. If, if, if two people, three people, four people get together and put on a cut, Something's gonna happen, right, you know. Absolutely. And you and you mentioned Barry White, and you and I both know because we because I'm 65 years old, and so uh, um, I know about Barry White and what his music did for me and whoever my woman was right, <laughs> at right, that exactly. time. You know what I mean? Exactly. And, and and it still does that today. You know, it sets you in a mood, and 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 it's just a beautiful thing. And so, in order for for us as a as a people, and I'm not talking about black folks or white folks, I'm talking about the human race. In right. order for us to to be able to uh, Uh, come together and make something happen, there's got to be some music involved. You know, there's got to be some music involved. And so I want to ask you, man, to to just give us an, an idea of what it is that you think that not only your music, but the music of the world is doing right now all over the world, you know, because especially with that, that, that world thing, it's, it's, it's so very important that we collaborate with everybody and, and, and find out some things that, you know, that I don't know anything about Japanese music. Nothing, man. And I know you do, you know, because you had to have known a little something, something in order to collaborate with them and, and bring what you bring, gospel and that kind of thing. So tell us, what do you think is, in terms of the big picture? Where is music headed? I think hopefully it's mm-hmm. headed
1: back to the direction it needs to be okay i mean i've been blessed and the group has been blessed with just justin timberlake you know i was a co-writer. okay that's our sample oh you know, okay tie, right? no kid and then uh that's so that went number one and then j cole chaining day that's that's that i wrote that too oh my goodness um, okay And but then you have like uh uptown funk you know bruno mars you know blurred lines so now you're starting to get back to songs, real songs.
0: No, okay, you know, okay. Where songs that
1: change is not all this stuff that's bland and mm-hmm, has no meaning mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. where you have real musicianship that has to come oh, into play. Man. So that's So um, that's where I'm glad to see it heading back toward that. Wow. Because it's been lost. See, because I think the audience... It has settled now for mediocrity mm-hmm, instead of excellence, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. they used to settle for excellence. Mm-hmm. You couldn't even re- get a record deal until you were the best. Yeah, you know, and so now it's like everybody tries to put out something. They think they're a producer because they have a, 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 a pro tools in their garage or in their bedroom, but they have to learn about the whole uh, aspect of what the music industry really is mm-hmm. and the science of music. So it's coming back to that. Great, great. Yeah. That's so
0: amazing you would say that because I, I I think about Barry White and he was, I don't know if he was one of the first, but I mean, he had a live orchestra when he was making that music, you know, and my wife, every time we go to the show, and we go to the show about once a week, man, and every time we, we go to the show and that score comes on, she lets me know whether those are real instruments or if it's some kind of synthesizer, whatever it is that they play to make it happen and and for her is so important that 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 come back so to speak you know because they used to couldn't do it because they didn't have synthesizers and stuff so they had to bring in a live orchestra you know what i mean right. and she's so hopeful that that's coming back and from what you just said you're in you know on the same wavelength as her in, in that regard and so i think man that's beautiful right. now now in terms of you know you're talking about songs why are songs so important why are words so important in terms well, of music
1: well just like you said words tell the story uh-huh. uh, you know if you put if you hear uh like a song you say well that song got to me because you listen to the story
0: the okay beat
1: is great but then you listen to the words mm-hmm. you may hear just things like suit and tie suit and tie right. but yet and still that's stuck in your mind so words are very important but also too you can't get away from the instrumental which we've gotten away from right very like wild like love theme Sam mm-hmm. mccoy the hustle mm-hmm. uh, uh summer madness cool in the game right you know uh, oh, uh, that's the, okay. uh, you know stuff like that <laughs> yeah. uh, uh um so it's a it's in R&B music or any other music. Mm. It's about the words and the whole marriage of the whole track. OK, So that's, that's okay. what it's about. Right.
0: Wow. Wow. John, I want to ask you, man, can you you think you can stick around like about 15 more minutes? Because I want to play a, 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 something I did and uh, I want you to, to stay here and, and, and comment it on on it with me. Sure. And so right now, uh, I just want to let you guys know that this is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We're here with John Wilson. Uh, of the Sly, Slick, and the Wicked, and you're gonna be hearing some more from him, but right now we're gonna get to the second half, or really we're, you know, a little past time, but that's okay, we're gonna get to the second half, and I'm gonna play uh, a recording that I did. uh, I wrote it some time ago, a couple of years ago, but I, I recorded it this morning, so just give a listen to what it is. This particular blog is entitled, Racism is a Consciousness, Not an Issue. In 1968, after listening to Fred Hampton, who was chairman of the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party, I decided to actively participate in the War on Racism. As chairman of Black Students for Black Action at Lake Forest College, I was involved in the threat to take over an administration building if demands for a Black Studies program, Black instructors, and a tutorial program for Black elementary school students in the surrounding areas were not met. The administration conceded and I felt assured that a major battle had been won now it's no secret that racism still exists here in America and that black people are the most publicized victims of this illusionary reality now I call it illusionary because all the negativity associated with black folk permeates the lives of white folks as well by looking at the similarities rather than the differences, I have found how connected we, the human race, really are. Now, it was a white guy in Amsterdam named Wilbert de Jude that brought new meaning to our oneness, and he, through his sharing, illustrated how racism is not an issue, but a consciousness. When we view our lives through the lens of racism, it hinders us from seeing people for who they really are. If we can just shift our consciousness, then race can cease being an issue and we can begin accepting others for who they are and not the color they happen to be. Wilbert's father left home when he was four years old and he felt very uncomfortable seeing him when his mother died 12 years later. Although his younger sister longed for their father's presence, they did not hear from him again until he was near death. Now, Wilbert had already expressed an undeniable love for his mother and how he was hurt and disheartened by her unexpected transition. He was proud in pointing out how she had bravely raised he and his two sisters on a meager income while bothered by her always having a border present to supplement their income. Now, i had heard this same story countless times, but it was one of those rare times that I truly felt a white man's pain. Wilbert is a bassist who plays improvised jazz, which I define as spontaneous synchronicity. Now, during our recent stay in Amsterdam, he performed with my wife, Nicole, who is a flutist, and the percussionist, Hamid, and a saxophonist named Peter. When I asked him how he viewed their performance, he said that he saw it as each of the four instrumentalists sending their separate musical salts up to an invisible fifth player, who synchronized them, sent them out to the audience, and back to the instrumentalists, who then sent up some more stuff. This produced an ongoing circular energy that everyone present was a part of and participated in. It didn't matter that Nicole and Hami were black, that Wilbert and Peter were white, and that the audience was literally comprised of people from all over the world. What mattered was that each musician had a story to tell. Those stories were received and synchronized by the one invisible storyteller and received as one story by all who were present and wanted to hear it. Now, prior to that time, I had seen racism as an issue to be dealt with instead of as a state of mind that can negatively influence my interaction with others. I am still black, mind you, and will continue being proactive in doing what I can to procure Equitable Rights for Black People. Let me point out, however, that my consciousness has been altered, and I now view myself as a part of the one, and thereby not separated from the oneness that exists in us all. I just want to take this time to extend my thanks to people like Fred Hampton and Wilbert DeJude, who help us to see ourselves not necessarily as others see us, but for who we really are. Um, I just wanna thank my my guest here, John Wilson, for (laughs) being one of those people who has helped me today to see some things that, that I had not seen. And as I told you at the beginning of the show and also last week's show, it's so important to me that we understand that everybody on the planet has something to contribute and when we uh, are able to witness that contribution uh, is just an amazing thing. And it, I don't know about you guys, but it makes me very, very happy. And I'm, and I'm grateful to know this guy, John Sly Wilson, and to have him sitting here in this studio right now. John, um, something that I wanted to, to, to express to you in terms of that blog was the fact that when I was uh, when I was young, man, uh, I was in, in a place that they called it uh, Crane Junior College. Now it's Malcolm X in Chicago. And I had the opportunity to meet the uh, uh, Fred Hampton, who was the head of the Black Panther Party back Back then, and that was the time when they were taking over schools, man. If you remember when you saw on the Time magazine this guy with a with a rifle in his in his hand and a bandolier of uh, bullets around his his chest and that kind of thing, and uh, and I and I was so moved by that man that uh, that I became a part of it. And as time went by, I was able to understand that uh, that this is not really. Uh, the means for doing something sometimes you know sometimes it's important, sometimes it has to be done, but as time goes by, we hopefully grow and mature in our thinking and the way that we approach things um and so um having having gone through that and getting to the place where I am now in terms of understanding that concept of 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 applying things when it's when it's time you know and doing things in a way that's 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 uh uh other people are able to participate in it rather than be repelled by it, you know, is something that that took me a long time, (laughs) a long time to get to that place. And I never even thought about going Anywhere overseas, talking to anybody about anything except the black problem here in the United States. You know what I mean. And for you to have have have, have been all over the world, man. You say two times. You know what I mean. How many? Eighteen. You said eighteen. How oh. I get two from that? <laughs> eighteen right, times. Right. You know. And and that didn't happen in the last couple of years. You know, you know what I'm saying. You know. But to have that mindset early on is such a blessing, man. And I so appreciate you coming in and sharing that with us because that's the place where I'm 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 looking at. And that this blog, it wasn't it wasn't planned. I didn't plan for you to talk like you did and then do this blog. But it was so amazing that it that it clicked like that. And I know that's not, uh, you know, an accident that was supposed to happen. You know what I mean? And so I just wanted to express uh, that what I talked about is something that took me years to get to that place. And you've been there four years. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not talking about the number four. I'm talking about F.O.R. You know what I mean? And so. Um, just share with us, man, if you will, um, if, if there was ever a time in your life where you were uh, looking at the things that were going on because when we were coming up, man, there was, uh, there was Martin Luther King, there was Malcolm X, there was the Black Panther Party, the, the Students for a Democratic Society. It was so many things going on at that time. And then we, 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 we fast forward to, uh, to people that, that are doing some things now that, you know, whether we agree with them or not, the black struggle is still going on. You know what I mean? And I'm looking at it from, and I know I'm talking a lot, but I'm gonna get to the point. I'm looking at it from a perspective of, I think we have to grow. You know what I mean. I think we have to transition and 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 fit ourselves to what's going on today. And for me, that has been looking at it from a human perspective rather than a, a, a black perspective, but still understanding that I do have that perspective. You know what I mean. And I and I'm definitely going to share it. So if you would just share with us, man, how you feel about. Uh, being a, a a black man in the music industry, having traveled all over the world eighteen times, does is there something that you can say in terms of uh, I'm black and I did this, or I'm human and I did this? Is there a difference between the two?
1: There is basically almost no difference. Okay. Uh, in the two, because first of all, you and I are the same age. Right. I met Martin Luther King. Okay. Okay. I watched him speak. Okay. hmm Uh. And the music has always been the soundtrack, okay, for everything. So, no matter where I go, even at this time, I mean, I've I've been all the way down to the tip of Africa, mm-hmm. okay. I've sat on in the Marai in New Zealand. I've done traditional music and met them, but I'm always still being reminded that I'm African American, okay. Now, because let me, I'm gonna ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Since Obama has become uh, president. There's something that is just as significant or even more significant of him being African American and becoming a president. What happened? Do you know something happened? It was a great event that happened, but they don't really say anything about it. No, you have to tell me that. Yeah. You You may have this event, or the people listening, you may have this event in your pocket right now. Mm -hmm. When President Obama became president, on a quarter, you know, you have like the state of Ohio, you have a state of Nebraska, state of Illinois. Mm-hmm. But Washington, D.C. did not have a quarter. So he issued not a commemorative quarter, but a quarter, quarter that's right now in commerce. Mm-hmm. On that co- other side of that quarter is Duke Ellington. Are you serious? The first time uh, African American. I, I had no idea, money. man. And he's a, a jazz musician. Wow. But wow. there's nothing said about that, so mm-hmm. we still have a long way to go. Yeah, okay, you okay. see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And as an African American in the music business, mm-hmm. even back then, you know, uh, the the R&B acts would get a, a budget maybe fifty, sixty, seventy thousand mm-hmm. dollars, where uh, a rock act would get one hundred fifty, two hundred thousand dollar budget, and what, which was really crazy to me because if you take rock as we know it, I'm looking at all this rock on, mm-hmm. on, on the right. wall here. Right. You got to go back to Jimi Hendrix, well, absolutely, he was, man. As we know, <laughs> the, you know from the you know the, the who, that absolutely. started with him, but then absolutely. he has to, he was listening to Chuck Berry, and then one of my best friends in life is Little Richard. Mm. Okay, mm. but then you go past Little Richard, then you have to go to Big Joe Turner, and, and you know in the in the thirties you had Sammy Davis Jr. Right. Child, I, I, you know, artist. Mm-hmm. In the fifties you had Frankie Lyman. Mm-hmm. In the sixties you had Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. But you see, I didn't say the forties. But there was a child actor in the 40s that was tearing everybody up, and that was Frank Sugarchild Robinson. Never heard of him. That's what I'm saying, and he's still with us.
0: Oh, my goodness. And
1: he was packing the Apollo. He was on TV. Mm -hmm. I mean, on TV, I'm sorry. He was on films and everything else, but nothing is said about him. So that reminds me that still, to this day, we still have a long ways to go to be looked at as a man. Right. And I've been in places where, yeah, it was forgotten about, but I was the token uh-huh. because, like I said, I'm the first to take gospel to Japan. Right. So I'm also being looked at, again, as an African-American. But the way I can tear down barriers with that, mm-hmm. so that never really you. I want to be accepted. Just like I'm not an R&B producer. Mm-hmm. I'm not a, a, a jazz producer. I'm not a rock producer. I'm not a Christian a, a, a whatever. I'm a producer.
0: Okay, my man. <laughs> I produce everything. Right, right, you know? right, right. So
1: you know, and so I tried to learn when when I walk into to places and like if I walk into a store here mm-hmm. and I see there's a there's a Korean person there, mm-hmm. I say Oh, Okay, okay. It freaks them out
0: because right, you know, right, a, a right, a right, 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 right. Or
1: you know, konichiwa. Mm-hmm. You know, or going to Vietnamese, chào cô. Yeah. You know, I learned to
0: okay because then.
1: All the barriers come down. Okay, and they want to enter. You mean you know my language? Yeah, a little bit. You know, Scoshe or, yeah. or or Chokum. Yeah, you know. I just was, I was in Shanghai,
0: China last uh, year. A week. Mm-hmm. I mean, sorry, almost two weeks. and They brought me over there to learn. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, John, I just want to thank you so much, man. And this is so important to me because I didn't, I didn't say anything to you about coming in here and letting us know and 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 sense what it is I've been talking about on this show. And that is, we just looking to be accepted. Period. It ain't white or black, but we do know that white and black still exist, and we each are going to do our part to kind of erase that consciousness that people have. You know, because it's not, it's not. Something solid that exists, it's a consciousness, the way people think. And, and I, man, I'm so happy to have you here. And, and if you don't mind, man, I'd like to have you back at some time because Anytime. we did really didn't have enough time. Anytime. And so, uh, I want you guys to stay tuned though to a serendipitous love for film. And Tonan is gonna be uh, doing that and it's gonna be from, from five to six. So just stay tuned. And I wanna close this out with a song that, uh, that I heard, uh, I just heard this today, but I got a guy sitting here that uh, knows something about this song. So John, if you wanna talk along with it, that's fine. Okay. You know anything about that song? No? Oh, you can't hear it. I
1: can't hear it. I'm ready for you. I'm really ready for you, baby. <laughs> this song was baby, the, uh, the other side of up um, that we really get on Soul Train. You, and actually, it went to number one in England. Baby.
0: Okay, man. It was a big hit for us in England. Right? <laughs> okay, okay, I'm gonna continue letting y'all y'all hear that song, and uh, I just want to thank you guys for tuning in. And uh, as always, i are partying. I'll